Thanks, Keila. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am back. I was just here a couple weeks ago, and it's awesome to be back. Uh, it, is, uh, it is Ryan's birthday today, for those of you who don't know. Last year, I got to be down here for that. You remember that one? John Mellencamp? That was for his 40th. I don't have a song for him today. He's turkey hunting. He's gone. Um, but if you get a chance, make sure you mention uh, that he's a year older when you see him next. I'd appreciate that. Um, this morning we're starting a short series called Hospitality, Redemptive Inconvenience. And we're doing this on purpose because we've come upon the season where we have 60 to 90 days of nice weather in Wisconsin. It's the only time of the year that we have nice weather, right? We are so grateful. God, thank you for that. We get 90 nice days, you know, here in Wisconsin. So we wanted to be really intentional about this series and putting it right here. And the reason why is because we wanted to get you prepared for summer to be able to think about hospitality in a radical and a redemptive way. Uh, we have this thing that we do. It's a little bit of um, a tradition at the Lathrop Home. It's a very special day in the spring, and it's called Rip the Plastic Off the Windows Day. You know what I'm talking about? We have that plastic shrink wrap. Windows aren't that new. So, so we put that up there every winter, and then we don't get to really sense a, a breeze going through our house at all until it was just, I think, about a week and a half ago. We finally took it off and got to feel the cross breeze. You're like, ah. Now, there's something else that comes with the cross breeze, though. When you open the windows in the spring, it's not just good news that the wind can come in. It's that there's other things that can go out of the windows. Let me, uh, let me show you this meme. Attention, moms. Open window season is here. Time to switch from yelling to hissed threats. Right? Right? <laughs> okay? It's different in the winter. We can lock the windows up and yell away. But... Um, you know, we're not always fans of opening up our homes because they're our refuge, right? There, there is this uh, adage, you can help me finish the sentence, a man's home is his castle. That's right. It's his castle. This is an old uh, phrase or a statement. In fact, attorney or professor attorney Jonathan Hafitt says this, the maxim that a man's house is his castle is one of the oldest and most deeply rooted principles in Anglo-American, Anglo-American jurisprudence. It reflects an egalitarian spirit that embraces all levels of society down to the poorest man living in this cottage. The maxim also forms part of the fabric of the Fourth Amendment, which protects people, their homes, and their property against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. So these freedoms that we have, these protections that we have, are some things I think sometimes we take for granted because not everyone in the world has those kinds of protections over their homes and their possessions and themselves. But, but I want you to think about this. The idea that a man's house is his castle is, according to this attorney and professor, one of the most deeply rooted things that's in our culture. I got a call this last week from a friend of mine. He's new in his journey of following Jesus, fairly new. And he called me because he had a question. He was struggling with something. I said, well, tell me what you're struggling with. And he said, well, here's the deal, Troy. He goes, my, my daughter and her family, my granddaughter has this milestone event that's coming up. My wife invited the family, uh, her family, as well as um, her family's friends to our house this Sunday. That's today. And I said, okay, so what's the problem? He goes, well, I don't have a problem, obviously, with our daughter and her family. It's her family's friends. We've spent time with them before. And he goes, Troy, they're animals. They're animals. He goes, they eat like animals. They talk like animals. They eat all the food. They trash the place. Just totally trash the place. And I was like, okay. So, so what happens to you? When your place is trashed. And he's like, what do you mean what happens to me? I get angry. I've, I've spent all this time to make my house the way I want it to be. And I don't want people coming in and trashing it. Right? 
And you can all go, yeah, amen, right? You don't want that. So, so I asked him a few more questions, didn't give him any answers, and told him to pray about it, which is, he was just rolling his eyes. And he knew that's what I was going to do. I'm not sure why he called me in the first place. Anyway, so, but he came back, and I said, hey, you pray about this. You talk to God about this, and then I want you to come back and tell me what you think God's saying. And so he did. He, he, he called me back and said, you know what, I, I probably should open my home up to these people because Jesus opened up to me. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm so glad we talked. But let me, let me ask this question. If our home is our castle, this is important. If our home is our castle, who's the king? That's a question I want you to answer. If, the, if our home is our castle, who's the king? Guy, we are. Yeah, you, that should be, okay, you should be on this. I'll ask you one more time. If our home is our castle, who's the king? We are. Thank you, Jackson. Yes. So, so we, we, we believe this way, but here's a, there's a problem with that. There's only one king. There's only one king. So if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, you can totally live by that adage. It makes total sense. Actually, we'd probably say that makes that's logical. But if you're here this morning, and I know many of you are here, and you say, I follow Jesus, then, that, then there's, a, there's something that happens there, that those two things come into incongruence. And one of them has to give. Through this series, we hope that it's not Jesus giving. It's that, it's that, our whole, that the Holy Spirit would convict us to give, to open our hearts up, open our homes up. And to do that, we actually have to open up the story of God and back up a bit. So grab a Bible with me, and we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 19, which is on page 84 in the Story of God Bibles. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, if you're visiting with us this morning, we would strongly encourage you to grab a Story of God Bible underneath your chair and follow along on page 84. We're just going to read a couple of verses here. Now, as you turn to Leviticus chapter 19, just some context for you. When people tell me, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible, I'm like, okay. And they start and they read through Genesis. And they're like, yeah, Genesis. And they read through Exodus, at least the first half. They're like, yeah, Ten Commandments, get there. And then they start to peter out a little bit because the back half of Exodus is a little kind of weird. And then they get to Leviticus and it's just done. They start dropping like flies. And you know why? Because Leviticus has got, even the, this, the subject matter is bizarre. The first like eight chapters is all just titled the sin offering, the guilt offering, the, the grain offering, the wave offering. And if that's not exciting enough for you, there's a whole chapter called Regulations on Infectious Skin Diseases. Yeah, that's exciting. There's a whole chapter in Leviticus devoted to mildew. I'm not joking, mildew. And so you're saying, what is going on? And you say, well, here's the thing. It's a very practical book. Leviticus was written as people were coming out of slavery in Egypt. They were in, uh, wandering around the desert. God was giving them these commands. And, and they were very practical in nature. This is who I am, God says. This, therefore, how is, you should be living. And these are things that are going to be best for you if you live this way and think about these things. And so they're given these instructions. Now, in chapter 19, we find a sort of series of miscellaneous laws or commands. And as we open up our series in hospitality, I just want to look at a couple of verses here that speak to hospitality. I want you to note that these are commands given to a people who had not yet had homes of their own. So before they even have homes, these are the commands they're given. Verse 33 and 34. Let me pray first. Father, convict us by your word this morning. Show us something new. Though this was written a long time ago, this still applies to us right here, right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Chapter 19, verse 33. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. This is God's word. 
Now, I want to I just reread it because when you hear the word alien, some of you are like, come on. You know, you're thinking Sigourney Weaver. You're thinking Star Wars right now. Not what we're talking about. The word alien here could mean foreigner, sojourner, could mean immigrant, even refugee if you want to go there. The biggest word that I think would encapsulate this word that makes the most sense to us and is general enough is stranger. I'm going to read it again with the word stranger. Just listen to me as I reread this. When a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So, a couple verses, not a ton to unpack, and yet there's a ton to unpack. So I want to start. Ready? Here we go. First, first thing I want you to know, this, these verses are commands. These are not suggestions. This is not a narrative. This is a command of God. Hospitality is commanded. Now, what you might say is you might say, Troy, I didn't read, you didn't read the word hospitality anywhere in here. And I would say that's the case. That's true. We didn't read the word hospitality, but that's because sometimes our understanding of hospitality is incomplete. For example, we have a hospitality team that meets here on Sunday mornings. They, they, make, they get donuts and coffee and food so that when we come together, there's a place for us to be welcoming and warm and, and loving each other. That, that's hospitality, but it's not as the, that's not the fullness of hospitality. There is something far greater than that when we think about hospitality. I read a book recently called Take Heart, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief by a guy named Matt Chandler, pastor and author Matt Chandler. In this book, he describes um, what it looks like to understand that in the midst of a world that seems as though is lost, uh, take heart, for Jesus has overcome the world. Now, he says in this book, he wants to give a biblical definition of hospitality. And so I want to read it to you. It says, biblical definition of hospitality is... To give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. To give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But So this text has hospitality implied in it, and it's implied because of a progression of relationship and responsibility that we see in just these two verses. So I want to show you what this looks like visually. If we look at this first slide, okay? So what we find is there's a progression in these two verses that there's yourself, and I'll include your family here. So this is your inner circle. This is the green circle. This is people you're comfortable with. This is the inner circle, the folks that you might be able to be seen in your boxers with, etc. Okay, so these are people very close to you and very like you. Probably share your DNA. Next, there are the native-born, and what we're going to use is we're just going to call those people like you. So these are people who think like you, people who maybe vote like you, people who maybe live in the same subdivision as you or keep their yard like you like to keep your yard, have kids all that kind of stuff, whatever. People like you. But then there's the, the outer portion, which is called the strangers. That's the aliens, the foreigners, the journalists, people not like you. And what we see in this text is there is a progression of both relationship and responsibility as we go through this. So I want to start with verse uh, 33. The command says, when a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. Now, raise your hand if you feel like you're, you're nailing that one. Here's a command. When a stranger lives in your land, don't mistreat him. Are you doing okay? Can you guys say, hey, are you... So, wow, you, a lot of you are mistreating strangers. Shame on you. Now, the only way that I see this apply in our context is road rage, okay? A lot of times you're like, I don't know who you are, but how about this? Um, that's a little bit of mistreating of the stranger, but for the most part, you would say, hey, I'm rocking this one. I got this part of the command. The problem is it's not done. The command goes on and it gets a little bit crazier because the next part of the command says this. The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Uh Uh-oh. 
Because what that means is the green circle, sorry, sorry, the red circle now needs to come into the yellow circle, which looks like this. Oh, God, now you're getting a little crazy. Now you're saying I've got to treat people who are not at all like me, kind of like the same way I would treat people who are like me. And that is a lot harder. But God is not done as he commands. There's one more. The last sentence goes on here. He says, love him, the stranger, love him as yourself. Love him as yourself. Now it looks like this. And it just got real. This just got real. Because all of a sudden, the people in the red circle are supposed to be treat. We're supposed to treat them like we treat the people in the green circle, like ourselves. Whoa, that's crazy. That seems like a ridiculous, ridiculous request. In fact, you might be saying, "This is how you hear that, and you go, all right, God, we're going to have a conversation.' Here we go. The conversation looks like this, God. God, I was taught by my parents not to talk to strangers. I still follow that. Okay, or you might say, God, you want me to love a stranger like I love myself. God, you don't even understand. Like, I, I check CCAP on all my neighbors. God, you can't be serious about this, okay? I know there's a part in here that says I should take care of my family. That part, I got. Like, I'm cool with that, God. That makes total sense. But now, you're telling me to love a stranger like I love myself. You know what, God? I know what it is. I know, God. I figured it out. This is contextual. This doesn't apply. This is the stupid kiss, Okay? Like, this doesn't apply to me. In fact, you might say to me, Troy, if you think this is a command, I've been reading in Leviticus while you were talking, and I found verse 19, which says in chapter 19, verse 19, uh, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Boom, Troy, what are you going to do with that one? Looks like you are breaking the command right here. I'm pretty sure this is polyester and cotton. See? And you're saying, see? Must be contextual. This is what we do is we look for loopholes. We look for loopholes and say that that must have been for somebody else, must apply in some other way, not to me. So here's a couple problems with that. First of all, I know the fabric thing sounds nuts, but it was very practical. It's in here in one, this one verse, and it's in Deuteronomy 22 again, which talks about linen and wool. And the reason why is because linen and wool, if you weave them together, they'll shrink stupidly. Like they, it doesn't work. So just practically speaking, God's like, don't do that. That's going to be a waste of your time. There's also about holiness. There's a lot about holiness and not mixing the holy and the unholy in this. But anyway, there's reasons why he does that. But I want you to tell you, the idea about clothing and how it's woven and not woven is in the Bible in two verses. The idea that we should love the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, is the, it's in the entire thing. It's all the way through from beginning to end. We find it over and over and over again. But we can't contextualize this away. Let me tell you this. No matter where you live, you are a foreigner to somebody. No matter who you are, you are a stranger to somebody, and everyone can be a stranger to you. Like, this applies to us. And God commands here his people to love the strangers as they love themselves. So progression looks like this in this next slide. We do not mistreat. We, we go to the next step to treat one as a native-born, like, our, like people we are like, and then we love that foreigner or stranger as ourselves. So what does this look like? How do we do this? Oops, sorry. How do we do this? Let me tell you. I don't know. I don't know. The reason I don't know is because I don't know how you love yourself. You may love yourself differently than I do, and so however you love yourself, God says love the stranger that same way. I don't want to become a legalist about this, so I don't want to give you a list of things you need to do. However, I think what you should do is begin by thinking about your home. 
one of the best places to start in hospitality is opening our so-called castles because God wants us to use what we think is our castle for his kingdom. Okay, God wants us to use what we think is our castle for his kingdom. But let's be honest, we struggle to do that, don't we? We struggle to do that, and we struggle to do it for a variety of reasons. We're tired. Maybe you've got kids running around. Maybe you're working and you're just exhausted. And you're like, I don't have time to open my home up. You're, you're, again, you're still like, I, I don't know. I, even if I had those people over, I don't agree with how they raise their kids. They might actually influence my kids negatively. I don't, I don't like the husband of that guy or that gal. Sorry. You know, I, I don't like those people. They're not like, they're not like us. You know what? In fact, if we invited them in, they're probably going to judge us. You know what we do? We, we ironically are judging other people. That's why we don't open our homes to them because we think they're going to judge. We're already judging them. And we're being selfish with our time. We can come up with endless excuses as to why this is the case, and we do. But at the end of the day, the reason that we struggle to empathize with the stranger is because we have forgotten that we, we are one. We forget that we, too, are strangers. So I want to I make, uh, make a case for this. So I need, um, I need four, four adults to stand up at this point, right where you're sitting. Just please help me out. Four adults stand up. Not all at once. There we go. Four, three, two, two, one more. All right. Now, the four of you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sit someplace else for the rest of the message. Just sit someplace else. Yeah, no, I'm, Amanda, seriously, just go sit anywhere else that you don't sit. No, sit somewhere. Sit over here. Yeah, it's, I, I know you don't want to. That's the whole point. You're going to help me, dear. You're going to help me. Okay, this is, this is going to make my point. Amanda says, I don't want to. That's perfect. In West Bend, in the first gathering, people are like, it's no big deal. I'm like, be quiet. That's not the point. Oh, you're going to sit next to Catherine, aren't you? Why are you sitting next to Catherine? Because I'm nervous. <laughs> what is this like for you, Amanda? It's good. It's good now that Catherine's here, right? Yeah. yeah. Guy, how about you? Did you move? You moved, right? How's this like over here? It's good, yeah. You see how he found like the, the most, the seat that's like the farthest away from everyone? that you could find. Okay, minus this one. Who wants to sit there? See, see, the reason I do this is because even in the smallest ways, our, our, we, we get programmed around forgetting what it's like to be a stranger. There's been a day when you all walked into this gym for the first time. There was a day when you all walked into the first time and you felt like Amanda feels right now. I don't want that. And we forget you know, when I hear this talk about immigration, I hear a lot of talk about immigration. I hear things even come out of Christians' mouths. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. Because we, no matter what you believe about immigration, deportation, refugees, a giant wall, all those things, let me tell you something. There's a reason you're all sitting in this room. It's because at some point in the history of your family, someone was a foreigner. Someone was a stranger. Someone was a sojourner who, who came here from somewhere else who endured the, the name-calling, the social awkwardness, who endured all that, and that we don't have to do it, so now we're comfortable. We don't have to be uncomfortable. We, heaven forbid we'd be uncomfortable. So I want you to move. I still want you to stay there and just feel that awkward weirdness because some of you come in here and you've sat in the same seat every single week. I'm not even here all that much, and I know. I know where you sit. Yep. What, ha- what would happen if you sat in a different seat? What would happen if you sat on a different side? Your whole world would be shifted. Oh, my goodness. 
But think about it. We, we, I'm using this as an example because if this is how we do it when we come together as a family, think about how, how much more we are closed with our homes and our lives and opening those up and that which is uncomfortable. There's a reason why we are to do this. And there's two reasons in this text as to why. The first one is this. God says, for you, you people were strangers in Egypt. You were outsiders. In fact, it's the DNA of the Israelites to be outsiders. Abraham was a wandering nomadic sheik, had no land of his own. Three generations later, his family became refugees from a famine down in Egypt. They were then became slaves for 400 years. You know what? Then God brought them up out of Egypt. As soon as he brought them up out of the land of Egypt, you know what they became? Refugees again. They were squatters. And while they're in the middle of a desert, God gives them, says a promise, I'm going to give you some land. But before you even get land, I'm going to tell you to be hospitable to the stranger. And you know what they would have said? They would have said, oh, that makes total sense because we're strangers. That's how we want to be treated. That's why Amanda goes and sits next to Catherine. Because what we want is when we're the outsider is we want someone who's, who wants to allow us to be inside again. We want someone who's going to obey this command. That's what we want. But the people of God, they didn't obey God's commands. They didn't, they didn't listen. They forgot about the stranger and they forgot about God. So God said, I'm going to bring some foreigners in called the Babylonians and we'll make you exiles. We'll take you out of your land again. Over and over and over again. God's like, love the stranger as yourself. Why? Because you are the stranger. We can't forget that. But there's another motivation as to why we are to love the stranger. It's the second one in here. It's this, the back half of verse 34. I am the Lord your God. Fifteen times in chapter 19, that's what God says. He'll give a command and he'll say, I'm the Lord your God. It's like God mic drops. It's like, here's a command, I'm the Lord. Boom. Why? Because he's like, I want you to be hospitable because I'm hospitable. That's my character. When you do that, you're reflecting me. This is why you are to do that. Even though, God's like, even though you made yourself like a stranger to me, I treated you like I've loved you like myself. A handful of years ago, I had a chance, Stephanie and I had a chance to go over to Montenegro and visit with some of our friends, Aaron and Angie Palno. If you, some of you might know Aaron and Angie. They're, they were part of our West Bend site, lived in West Bend. He sold his business, went to, to, to share the gospel in Montenegro. We were there for four years, and we, we were over there visiting with them, and they're dear friends of ours. So we were, we were oblivious to some extent to how just everyday things became really difficult for them. How like just making a meal, one of their favorite meals, finding the ingredients, going out, speaking a different language, trying to buy a vehicle, trying to just navigate culture was work. Like every day, every sentence was work. And so we, we recognized how important it was that a few people who were local started to do some of these things where were kind of people of peace to them and, and kind of came alongside and loved them. So we came back. From there, and I was convicted by that. I said, man, what does it look like for us? Are there people living in our midst who may feel like Aaron and Angie feel? How do we love them? And so one day I was walking into school and I recognized that there was a gal. She was from France. Her son was in my daughter's class. And I recognized in the past that she was kind of on the outside because she was French. And she didn't say much because I don't think she understood much English. On this this day, I felt, okay, God's God's, going to make me do it, aren't you? I'm going to be an idiot. I'm going to totally make a fool of myself, but I think this is what you're calling me to do. So, so I'm walking up, taking the kids to school, and I run into her. I'm like, hi, I'm Troy, Tiana and Chloe's dad. They're in your son's class together. 
I don't speak French, but I have a friend, Molly, who does. I could introduce you to her. We could have dinner together. And at first she was kind of like this, and then she just was like, oh, this guy's an idiot. So she just kind of laughed, right? And then she's like, she could kind of understand English. She understood everything that I was saying. And I was embarrassing myself. But she, she said, we would like to come to dinner. And so we had them over dinner. We began a, a relationship with these folks from France. And they were here for about three years before they got moved back for a promotion for the, the husband's job. And so one night before they had left, they, they were at dinner at our table. And we, were, we had learned as much as we could about them, asked them questions, heard their story. And she said, you know, uh, you have been like a light in the darkness to us. And my gospel fluency wasn't as good then as it is now, I would have liked to have said, well, that's Jesus in me. Any, any light that you see in me, that's Jesus in me. I didn't say that. But we had had spiritual conversations and even had the chance. That Chloe, our daughter, invited them to be a part of our gathering when she got baptized. And they got to hear her testimony, planting seeds. Now, um, it was awkward at first. Different culture, some different things. I make a little bit of a fool of myself regularly when we were interacting. And, and, and that's, but at the end of the day, we're hoping that we planted some seeds and went outside of our comfort zone to, to care for the stranger. It's not that complicated. Now, in this, in this book by Chandler, Take Heart, he has, I think I mentioned, he has a whole chapter. It's called The Surprising Place You'll Show Your Courage. It's at the end. It's one of his applications. And here's what he says. Courageous living looks like showing Hospitality. Don't hear me say that hospitality is the sum total of courage or of evangelism and discipleship, for that matter. But don't miss me saying that living courageously will involve, will involve living hospitably. If hospitality doesn't sound exciting or initially feels confusing, that's because the idea of hospitality got hijacked by Martha Stewart and became less about the way we live and more about how we decorate and prepare meals. I'm not against that, but I'm saying that it's not what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality. When the Bible speaks of hospitality, it almost always ties it to strangers. That is, people who are not like us, and the Bible is serious about hospitality. It's serious about hospitality. You see, family, God wants us to use what we think is our castle for his kingdom. Now, some of you are already doing that. Some of you here are already doing that, and so this series is going to hopefully be an encouragement to you to go, okay, this is why we're doing what we're doing, because God has been hospitable to us first. But some of you here in this room... Um, and as part of our family, all of our family of faith at Kettlebrook, let me say this. Some of you have never probably opened your home up to anybody. And I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm not saying to judge you. I'm just saying here's a fact. You're like, no, no, no. I've had my mom and dad over, Troy, okay? I've had my sister and my brother, and I've had my friend over. But you're talking green circle, like at best. What would it look like for us to say, be intentional this summer about the yellow circle at least? So here's some people who are like us, maybe neighbors. Maybe who can we, we could probably get along with. We could probably figure it out. And then once we do that, let's just say, what do we do once a month? Say, we're going to open our home up to somebody who's not like us, or maybe even is like us. I don't, let's walk before we run. And then watch what God does, and then say, when God does that, what would it look like if we opened our home up to the red circle? Okay? I don't want to overwhelm you with that. I just want you to think, how would you take steps to walk before you run in this? How could God use you? In fact, let me, let me get real practical with you. If that is too big of a step, this place can be your Petri dish for hospitality. Okay? That means that when you come here, there are people that probably you don't know. Instead of saying just hi to the same people that you always say hi to, say hi to someone that you don't know. 
They might be like, man, that's awesome. Someone welcomed me. There's some new folks in the room. Maybe it's that you don't sit in the same seat. I'm just telling you. They all sit the same. The chairs all are the same. They're identical. I know some of you like Ryan's from this side better than this side, but whatever. Here's the thing. We have to think about being radical and redemptive in the inconvenience that hospitality is. Okay? We have to be a people of hospitality. You know why? Because people aren't going to come in here. They're not randomly just going to start walking in here. But they'll much more likely walk into your home when you invite them for dinner and you're open to listening to them and hearing them. And you know what you can share with them? The gospel. The gospel. The good news with them while they're in your home. So just be thinking about that. A couple practical things we put together. I think Ryan put together a handout. Um, it should be on the back table somewhere. It should be a handout that looks like this. Got some practical tips for you. May 22nd, we're going to do an equip event up at the community center in West Bend. We're going to spend three hours. Instead of us talking at you, you're going to have a chance to dialogue. You're going to have a chance to see a panel, wrestle through what does hospitality look like as we hopefully equip you to do that before the summer comes. I want to close with, um, with Chandler and a relook at those those graphics quick. Chandler says this, why does the Bible talk so seriously about hospitality? Well, if I could boil it down to the simplest truth, it's because God has been so hospitable to us. God shows hospitality not just to his friends or the strangers, but to his enemies in saving us as sinners, inviting us to eat at his table in his eternal home. And we demonstrate that we truly appreciate the divine hospitality we've received as we extend our own hospitality to those around us. If we look at these circles again, this first circle again, this is what we saw in this text. I think a lot of times we think about different levels of people. We actually don't even think about it this way. We think about it in the next slide, which is this one. There's us and there's God and we're good with God because we're kind of good people. We're moral. And then there's people who are maybe not like us. They're maybe they're just kind of more like bad people. And then there's the, the people in the red circle. Those are really bad people. And we can deal with the green circle, folks, but not the yellow circle or the red circle, folks, at all. But in reality, here's the problem. Our sin, our sin makes it look like this. This is what the circle looks like. This is where God is, and this is us outside. And yet, through Jesus Christ, God makes it possible for us to be back in that circle with Him. Through faith in Him, we are inside God's circle. And so as we close, I want to read these words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, to Gentiles, non-people of the Hebrew uh, family line. They were outsiders. Here's what he wrote. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we are hospitable. Because we who are far away have been brought near by Jesus Christ, and therefore we are to open our homes and our lives and our hearts up that others may understand, be brought near to God by His Spirit as well. So let's be a hospitable people, family of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have brought us near through the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. That though we were outsiders, strangers, foreigners, not deserving of relationship and your love that you loved us that you loved us as the stranger the foreigner the one who was wandering around that you sought to bring us back love us back 
and share with us not just not just a glimpse of you, but share with us a table that you've gone ahead of to prepare, a feast that waits for those who have been brought in by your Son, Jesus Christ, into a home and rooms that have been prepared, many rooms that have been made ready by your Son, Jesus. Help us then to open up our homes, open up the rooms in our homes, open up our hearts, our tables, our feasts, so that others may know of the God who says, I am the Lord, your God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.